Oh, turn it up. Got your icon pass, powder slash it. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $259 adult? Okay. Done. Now, as Saul was coming along and approaching Damascus, there was a light from heaven that flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saw, Saw, why do you persecute me? You'll remember from Sunday school that we first meet Saw in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, where St. Luke tells us that Saul was the person who watched over the garments of those who were stoning the apostle Stephen to death. Saul was the guy making sure the thrower's clothes didn't get dirty during the killing of Stephen. So while Saul may not have actually thrown a stone that bounced off of Stephen's head, that was the scene. That was the event that moved Saul from being an observer or an onlooker to enemy number one of the church. Luke writes, Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, and he committed them to prison. So today, we meet up with Saul after he had secured arrest warrants for followers of the way, not the heathens downstairs in the fellowship hall, the, the followers of the way who lived in Damascus. And what was Saul's plan? Saul was going to arrest these followers and take them to the very same religious leaders in Jerusalem who had colluded with Judas, the same leaders who had insisted that Jesus be crucified. So with the arrest warrants secured from the synagogue in his hands, Saul is ready to stamp out the church in Damascus and to continue his work throughout Israel. But suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Why do you persecute me? Saul doesn't know who or what knocked him on the ground. Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. This voice had intruded on and devastated Saul's self-righteous journey to stamp out followers of the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ. Until that moment, until that moment where Saul found, found himself laying on the ground, it seemed that he knew more about religion. He had learned more about God than God. Saul was sure of who he was, who God is, and what Saul had been called to do in the name of God. Who is this? he asks. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Later in our reading, Luke tells us of Ananias, a follower of the way who lived in Damascus. And this Ananias has a vision. While Saul had been, had intended to lay hands of persecution on Ananias and his friends, the Lord instructed Ananias to lay hands of healing on Saul. But Ananias, like many of us probably would have been, needed to be convinced of what he was being asked to do. That Saul? Really? 
Are you sure about that, God? Maybe it's someone else. Saul's conversion began on the road to Damascus, but was not completed until he had been cared for by Ananias and the very people in Damascus that Saul had planned to arrest. Saul's conversion and the work of Ananias makes for stories that we use in the church to point how individuals shape the life of the church. Without the conversion of Saul, we do not have the letters of Paul. We would miss two-thirds of our New Testament. Maybe you've been told you need to be like Paul. You need to see the light. You need to have a life-altering encounter. And if you have not had that life-altering encounter, you cannot be a true follower of the way. Or perhaps you've been told you need to be obedient like Ananias, caring for someone who had it out for you, caring for someone who wanted to do you harm without the proper theological context. This conversion is full of material that can be easily used to persuade, pressure, and manipulate us to act or move in certain ways. This past Thursday morning, Pastor Ed and I, along with all of our clergy friends from the Alexandria and Arlington area, filled a sanctuary out in Fairfax for what I like to call required clergy fun. During this meeting that could have very easily been an email, we were invited to consider what our superpower was for ministry. I immediately thought to myself, if I were to have a superpower for ministry, it would have to be my ability to properly use the word awesome as many times as possible in a sermon, walking that very fine line of irritating and maybe breaking Pastor Ed's last nerve. Maybe it's because being contrary is a hobby of mine. The more I thought about the question, what is your superpower for ministry, I became more and more uncomfortable. You see, I understood the point of the question. But the reality is that this question edged on the ways that the church can persuade, pressure, and manipulate us to have a story, to have an experience like Saul and Ananias. So this morning, I am outing myself before you and before God. I have no superpowers for ministry. So while this might disappoint a few of you, I will not be leaping over the church steeple this afternoon in a spandex bodysuit holding the Bible in one hand and communion elements in the other. As a pastor, though, I do have a few things that are my favorite, things I favor doing. First and foremost, baptizing babies, teenagers, young adults, adults, more seasoned adults, and everybody in between into the new life that we hold in Jesus Christ. Shortly after that favorite thing is hearing your stories, hearing how you came to faith, how God has been at work in your lives. And every single time I hear one of those stories, in the same way, every time I think to myself, after the water hits somebody's head, after the water hit Cora's head and her brother's head, I think to myself, wow, that's pretty awesome. 
Your stories of coming to faith and God's movement in your lives is indeed awesome because they are not stories of persuasion or manipulation. If anything, these stories are examples of how we as a church can push back against anything that is persuasion, pressure, or manipulation at the hands of the church. Over the past five years, your, your stories of coming to faith, your stories of God's movement in, in your lives have been my most preciously held moments because like Saul and Ananias, our experiences with God point to the movement and work of God in our lives and around the world. Our stories of encountering the risen Lord are how we continue to bear witness to Mary's Easter morning discovery that the tomb was empty. We are witnesses to the very voice that knocked Saul on his behind, the very voice who spoke to Ananias, the voice who overcame the power of sin and death, and the voice that continues to speak to us today. St. Luke tells us that Saul was completely changed. He went from being enemy number one to being the person who would carry the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. That means carrying the good news of Jesus Christ to people like you and like me. So we stand here today as witnesses to the awesome work of God along the Damascus Road. It would have been very easy, maybe even justified, for God to write off Saul. I mean, after all, Saul was enemy number one of the church. But as we read every year on Good Friday, God is not in the business of writing people off. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he prayed for the forgiveness of the people who were killing him, the very person who was holding the hammer as the nails went in. And that, my friends, is grace the nothing you can do to earn it, the nothing you can do to lose it, love and forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. Right now, that love, that forgiveness, that grace is yours just as it is Saul's, Paul's, and Ananias's. Right now, this grace is yours just as it was extended to the soldiers who put the nails into Christ's hands and mocked him as he took his last breath. Right now, this amazing grace is yours, just as it is for the person you might believe deserves it the least. The conversion of Saul is the story of God's grace before it is the story of Saul being converted or changed. A story of the work of God in the people and the times that we least expect. And us, as resurrection people, as people who bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is what we do every day. We bear witness to the work of God in our own lives, in the lives of our community, to one another, and to the world. Amen.